You're listening to Flirting with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Mondana Yousefi, and this is my boo, Ian Reese. My husband, Ian, is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am quite the newbie. Each week, he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin or Bitcoin adoption. I promise we keep it real light and fun. But before we get started, make sure you go to goals.flirtingwithbitcoin.com and stack your sats for the week. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hola. Konnichiwa. Buongiorno. And guten tag now. Yes, yes. Guten tag. Apparently that was correct. Someone responded on Fountain and said that was correct. Good job, babe. I'm proud of you. You're so international. My American husband is so international. (laughs) Mr. Worldwide. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Ian and I are both past the allergy hump. Hopefully we're less congested this episode. Thanks for sticking with us last week. Mm-hmm. We appreciate your patience and commitment to learning about my journey to learn about Bitcoin. Tell us the block height, Ian. Ah, yes. Today the block height is 756108, and you can get 5,122 acres on Bitcoin Island for $1. I want to go to Bitcoin Island today. You go, you go to Bitcoin chilly. Island all the time. It's chilly outside. I know, but like in my mind, Bitcoin Island is very warm and fall is here in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I mean. Ian's in like t-shirts and shorts, but I'm wearing a sweater. (laughs) What can I say? I run hot. And I run super cold. I'm cold blooded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before we get started, is there anything going on with Ethereum that I need to know? Has it completely collapsed? Uh, There's nothing of note to talk about. Ethereum this week, we're going to have a completely Ethereum free week. I guess that's not a bad thing. I mean, this show is about Bitcoin, but I love the Ethereum drama. It's so juicy. Look, whenever there's some hot goss, I will make sure to bring it to you. But this week, the hot goss is interest rates and the Federal Reserve and the currency crisis that's going on. Fair enough. There's a lot going on. (laughs) There's a lot going on. We don't need to worry about it. Let me not get distracted. All right. So what's up, babe? So there's a bunch of stories. Um, We're going to start with the good news first, and then we're going to slowly lead into the drama of the week. Ah, so the spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down? Uh, Something like that. All right. So what's good? So the first story, some really good news. You know, we talk about strike on the pot a lot. They actually just had their Series B, which in investment terms usually means you're probably going to make it. I'm seeing different reports. Some say 80, some say 90, but like... They raised 80 to $90 million for their Series B, so Strike is going nowhere. Congratulations to them. Congrats to Strike, congratulations to Jack Mahlers, and uh, congratulations to Uncle Rockstar. Well, congrats to them. So what do you think this means for Strike? Like, what's next? I think they made some announcements during the Bitcoin conference in Miami a couple of months ago about like the different integrations that they're exploring. But what, what do you think that they're going to be doing? Or what have they said that they've been doing versus like, what's your guess? Well, you know, so like I've been working in the startup community at different startups over the past couple of years. And usually what you do with the Series B is you hire more people, right? So with 80, 90 million dollars, they're going to be able to hire a decent number of engineers. So that's like a big thing just in its own right. If you have engineers, you, you can build more features, you can build out your feature set. But the other big thing is that, you know, Strike has been in the app promoting their like debit card you know, debit cards coming soon and all this fun stuff. I don't know all the details around how you get your own debit card because, you know, I'm not in that business. But I believe that I read somewhere that like you have to like put up a certain amount of capital 
as like a reserve before you can even start issuing your own debit cards. So I imagine that now they've raised this Series B, we're going to see their debit cards come out really soon. So they're going to be a bank? Strike is trying to reimagine what a bank is in a world that has Bitcoin. You can have a cash balance in Strike or you could have a Bitcoin balance in Strike, but there's no real way to spend your cash balance, your dollar cash balance in Strike. I have a little bit of cash in there and I've, I've bought some things with it, but you always have to use basically lightning, right? So like someone will give you a lightning invoice and you scan it and what Strike does is it converts your cash balance into the appropriate amount of Bitcoin and sends it off. Mm -hmm. But with a debit card, now you can just go to like your local coffee shop that maybe doesn't take Bitcoin at the moment, but still spend your cash oh, balance. Oh, and like, oh, it could spend your cash balance, but could it also just immediately convert your Bitcoin to the cash that they accept? And ah, okay, Yeah, cool. so like if you have a debit card and you swipe your card at, you know, a coffee shop, the coffee shop's gonna get dollars. They don't really know what happened. Maybe it came from my cash balance. Maybe it converted some of my Bitcoin to cash and then sent it over to them. Like, that's just gonna be all up to strike. We'll see what they actually do. But once they get a debit card in people's hands, they will be more of a, like a real like banking institution. Cash App already offers debit cards and they don't actually do any like on the fly conversions, but you can open your Cash App app, convert your Bitcoin to dollars and then swipe your card immediately. Interesting. So this is like hopefully one giant step for Bitcoin adoption very soon now that they've gotten their Series B funding. Strike getting funded. Um, the people who funded them, they're they're pretty big. I think they're specifically Bitcoin only, like venture capital. They only invest in Bitcoin companies. But raising money in general is just a big deal. Not every company raises money. There's they made a whole TV show about it, Silicon Valley, about trying to raise money to get your business off the ground. So Strike getting the Series B, getting this amount of money, being able to hire more than using the Silicon Valley analogy, the five engineers that are on that show mm -hmm. for like every season except the last this kind of gives them you just gave the show away babe to our listeners who haven't watched it spoiler alert <laughs> um this just really is a good signal that people are willing to invest in companies that are operating like strike that are actually challenging the status quo on how money moves around the world exciting stuff babe Any more sweet stuff, babe? You got any more sugar for me? <laughs> yeah, I got one more before we get into the before we get into the medicine. So I don't know if you've heard of M-Pesa or M-Pesa. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a big mobile payments network in Africa. You know, you might have heard people say things like, you know, Africa um, leapfrogged into the mobile payments. Africa leapfrogged into like mobile internet, right? And everyone's doing everything's on their phone. Well, M-Pesa or Pesa, however you pronounce it is one of those things that kind of enabled that. And so in Africa, you can actually make payments to people basically using SMS text messages. And this payment network, M-Pesa, was the way that people were doing that. The majority of people were doing it like that. Well, there's a Bitcoin exchange called Bitnob. I kind of have followed it a little bit. Uh, one of the original people that reached out to us when we first started the podcast, um, they're kind of involved. They, they do their pod, they host their own podcast for them and stuff like that. So I kind of know what Bitnob is, but They've integrated with M-Pesa so that in addition to SMS text messaging payments, you can now do lightning payments over the same network. So what you're saying is like in Kenya, 
there is a way for people currently to be doing financial transactions, payments, things like that, just exclusively on their phones. Yes. And what this launch is doing of BitKnob integration is just changing that experience. Well, keeping that experience the same, but having it be Bitcoin instead of the currency of Kenya, for example. Yes. And since I don't have an M-Pesa account, I don't know the difference in the experience post and pre-launch. But I will say this. It's very hard to move USD into most African banking networks. Why is that? Because the... Just it's hard to move money internationally or specifically to African banking networks. Both. There's a whole history of banking in Africa that this podcast isn't about. (laughs) Um, But the short is that like very similar to what we talk about with Central America and El Salvador, like if I wanted to move money into the African network, there's going to be middlemen Mm -hmm. and it's going to get a haircut as it's moving. Yeah. And so if we wanted to get money into to someone through the M-Pesa network, I don't know the exact haircut you would take, but there is a, a fee that you got to right, pay. Right, up until now. So just generally the benefits <sighs> of switching over to Bitcoin will happen here. But there's also like something else unique that's happening with M-Pesa, which like you said, in Africa and the African countries that use it, they leapfrogged into digital or mobile banking because they didn't have access to banking in most parts, right? Like exactly, they didn't have physical access to physical banking. And so it's not that they just advanced faster than other people. It's that they were never in the place that most of, let's say, America is in right now, which are, is physical banking. And maybe in the past five, 10 years, they've moved to mobile banking. Exactly. And so in Africa, there's been a lot of stories that I've been following over the years, even before I was like into Bitcoin, where you get exposed at least through the news story itself of like, wow, I never thought about like, you know, there, I remember this one story I read a long time ago where it was like this woman who um, ran a little shop and she would like ride her, her dirt bike or whatever into like the main town. And she basically would like acquire a bunch of goods on credit. She would take them back to her town and she would sell them. And then she'd have to ride back to like pay off the credit that she did that she acquired like earlier in the day. Like that was what she was doing. And then this website came in that basically like became a middleman for her. And I thought that was like, that was a really cool idea. Well, M-Pesa is kind of like another version of that middleman where she didn't need credit anymore. As she was making sales, she could just transfer the money. She didn't have to get on her dirt bike and move her physical money back and forth. So kind of- Right, there were a lot of benefits to M-Pesa in the first place. Like it's it's a major success in Africa. 100%. It is a I mean, they're still dealing with a bank and banking and all that fun stuff, but the fact that people can do all of this on their mobile phones is a dramatic improvement to what they were doing before. And I think you actually said it when we were kind of talking in the pre-show, but like M-Pesa is kind of like a precursor to Bitcoin. Yeah, it's like 90 I, I read that 96% of Kenyans use it. <laughs> Which is crazy. Like, that's crazy that 96% of a population is using a single financial system and it's electronic and it's on their phones. Like, they've primed them perfectly for Bitcoin. They're they're really experiencing electronic currency already. Exactly. They just haven't experienced, like, the added benefits that Bitcoin brings, which is, like, you know, 
what is it the what, haircut what what are the benefits sweetheart? the haircut is that what you called it i mean that's that's the term we use in the financial world it's a funny term to hear from a bald man <laughs> <laughs> what you know about haircuts <laughs> i've taken plenty of haircuts in my day yeah um, so you're not like paying the financial transaction fees you're immediately getting that money um and there's no debt involved it's just real money being moved exactly and so I know the benefits of Bitcoin. Did I pass the test? I mean, those are passing answers. I don't know if it was a test. Uh, I was doing it, pass fail. I didn't want to grade. Okay, okay, okay. But I mean, the big part here is that M-Pesa is this network. It's been in existence. It's been very successful in a lot of African countries. But this integration with Lightning now means that I can move money into the M-Pesa network through Lightning. It works just like everything else. So very similar to remittances to El Salvador using Lightning and Bitcoin and, and, and saving that country all the money they were paying for fees. So El Salvador is a country of 6 million people. What Bukele has done in El Salvador for his people, the M-Pesa network covers multiple countries. Right. So it's the same unlocking that El Salvador has experienced. It's just unlocking it across multiple countries for tens of millions of people, not the six or seven that are in El Salvador. Which I think this will really speed up Bitcoin adoption because you're going to have a lot of people within one economy using it, and then you're gonna have countries right next to each other that are probably doing commerce with each other often, now having Bitcoin to easily do those transactions now. I've always thought that Bitcoin is going to take off everywhere but the United States. You know, mm -hmm. all of the larger economies are going to be slow to adopt it, but the smaller economies that I think need it the most, the sooner that they can adopt it, the more stability that they'll have in their economies. And then countries like the United States, the UK, Germany, China, Russia, like all of these bigger economies, they'll have to come into Bitcoin. They'll have to adopt it in some way, at least for their international financial activities, because those countries will only operate in Bitcoin sooner than later. You could look at it one of two ways. That's definitely, I think, the way that a, like, uh, I would say a non-Bitcoin maximalist, like, would approach this problem. And that's a very valid solution. But I think it's going to go the other way. I think these smaller countries are going to refuse to accept anything but Bitcoin. And all of these smaller countries that we're talking about, they have all the resources. Right. I think that's what I was saying. I mean, I didn't take it to be as aggressive as yours to say that this is the only currency that I'll accept, but I think it'll be the only currency that they operate in and that they'll be set up to be accept accepting. Yes. I, I, the reason why I'm saying it more aggressively is because, which is some of the stories that we're going to get into later, is that... All the other currencies suck. All the other currencies <laughs> suck. These currencies in Africa are in the same boat, yeah. right? The money that's moving mm -hmm. on M-Pesa, it's in the same boat. It's mm -hmm. being devalued. The government's printing more of it. Like everyone's having the same problem. The United States dollar is just the least worst fiat currency right now. So everyone's scrambling to go from their really, really bad fiat currency to the dollar, right? right? But once the like game has been like fully exposed and even the common man on the street really understands what's going on, I think most people will not exchange resources or labor for a money that can be printed at will. I just chopped down a bunch of trees. It took me all day. And you want to give me money that you just pushed a button and printed? No, 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 no. 
I only take money that I know cannot be printed. And I think that is the mental change that's happening. And the places that have been exploited by this fiat printing system are going to figure that out first. And the places that are benefiting from the fiat money printing system are the places that are going to be like, what's their problem? Yeah, they're going to be the last to join. Yep, I so, agree with you, babe. So I think it's going to same, be more same of a... Same thing, I think. I think it's going to be more of a, a forced thing, though. I think they're going to say no. Yeah, I'm just more gentle in my Bitcoin adoption yeah, approach. I'm yeah. just flirting with yeah, it. Yeah, well, eventually no one will exchange labor for money that can be printed. We'll see. All right, so is this the bad news? I'm ready for it. I can take it. This one is actually the bad news. And it's bad news because we all know that there's a lot of FUD when it comes to Bitcoin. And we all know that any negative event happening is going to be misconstrued in any possible way to make Bitcoin look bad. And haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. That's a very easy, That's a much easier way of saying that. <laughs> haters going to hate. <laughs> <laughs> so what has happened is that there's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give an analogy. Like there's, there's AWS, right? So AWS is basically the server farm of the internet. You know, my company uses AWS. My previous company used AWS. My company before that used AWS. Everyone who's starting any type of technology company tends to start on AWS. Technically, there's Microsoft and Google, but no one really uses them, except I think Strike uses them. So <laughs> there's becoming this separation in the Bitcoin mining industry. You have Bitcoin miners, and those companies like own the actual physical machines. And then you have Bitcoin mining like hosting companies or hosting facilities where these Bitcoin mining companies, if they don't own their own facility, they will put their miners in this facility that has like the electricity set up the heating and cooling set up so that the, the boxes don't overheat. So a Bitcoin mining hosting. So it's like a factory space, basically. Yeah, it's like a factory. Or like a, a uh, what is it? A, a ghost. A commercial kitchen. A ghost kitchen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So a lot of Bitcoin miners, mining companies probably started in like a basement or a garage, mm -hmm. right? And then someone realized, oh, I could do this full time. But it got too hot to handle. Basically, <laughs> you know, you're going to sweat your wife out of her out of her kitchen or something or husband or husband. Women can be Bitcoin miners, too. But the point is, is that you get to certain levels of scale where it actually becomes cost effective to not own the building where your machines are. And then you just move your machines around to the best building that gives you the best rate. Well, one of those building companies, not the miners themselves, but one of those companies has gone bankrupt. But if you read the headline, it sounds like a Bitcoin mining company has gone bankrupt or has filed for bankruptcy. And that is not what has happened. It's just one of these hosting facilities. However, I've already seen at least one article that totally messed up this story. So like the FUD's already coming, right? They're already like positioning it to be like, oh, I thought Bitcoin mining. Because it technically is a Bitcoin mining industry company. It's just a component of Bitcoin mining and it's not the actual business of Bitcoin mining. I think I still butchered that, but I understand what you're saying. Like they are just operating a business just like a test kitchen would be operating business. Like, hey, we've built the kitchen, come cook your food. Exactly. And this is the people who built the kitchen who probably made some business mistakes and they needed to declare bankruptcy, I'm assuming. Exactly. All right. I think that the ghost kitchen or whatever is like a really great example because, 
you know, here in DC, there's, I think at least two or three competing companies of ghost kitchens, right? They're commercial kitchens. Places where people cook food and then leave. Yes. They like rent out the (laughs) space. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so there's already a market competition for that type of space. Mm -hmm. Very similar to like a WeWork, Mm -hmm. right? But the trick is, is that there's a lot of components that go into that. And I do believe that at least one of them has gone out of business here in D.C., right? It happens. It happens. It's a business just like any other business. But no one goes on TV <laughs> or writes an article saying like restaurants are going out of business, yeah. which is what they're saying when they say Bitcoin mining is bad. Yeah. I mean, I think people get really excited when something about Bitcoin fails. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, this just fed into that. But, I, you know, what happens in this situation for the mining companies that were using that service, they just go find another one? Well, that's the... Like, is this going to impact Bitcoin mining for a while? Well, yes and no. I mean, so the... the I thought this was bad news. You still seem excited. It's not... No, it's not... It's not... It's not good for how the news cycle... It's bad for the news cycle of Bitcoin. And right now, the price action, not that price matters, but people's opinion of Bitcoin is directly correlated to the price, and the price action of Bitcoin is directly correlated to the news that's in the news cycle. And so when a news cycle with the word bankruptcy shows up next to the word Bitcoin, that usually just means bad things and you got to all defend Bitcoin for like a week or two. Mm-hmm. But the interesting part about this company going bankrupt is that the interesting about the interesting thing about this company going bankrupt is that it in and of itself has physical resources like it owns this company owns a building that is literally set up to do Bitcoin mining. So in bankruptcy court If I were a person that wanted to get into Bitcoin mining, I would say, I'll buy you. Let's do a co-op, guys. Flirting with Bitcoin and our listeners, let's buy this building. (laughs) I have no desire to do this. I was just pitching an idea. I mean, but I'm saying somewhere, somewhere, someone in the world is having that same thought. Yeah, and they're going to do it. And then it's going to be like they didn't skip a beat, probably. They're not going to, there might be some hiccups or whatever, but the point is, is that someone's going to be able to get into this business at a very low price point. Yeah. And if you know, we talked about Tesla last week a little bit, maybe too much, but like, if you know anything about Tesla, they, part of their success came from the first factory that they got. That factory in Fremont, California was like a $2 billion factory and they got it for $40 million because Toyota and GM were just like trying to get rid of it. Mm. So like it wasn't bankruptcy court, but they got it out of steel. And that's where the majority of Teslas came out of for like the first 10 years of the company. It wasn't until later that they went into China and all that fun stuff. So like this I put in that same realm of if there is a quote unquote Elon Musk that has a better idea of how to run a Bitcoin mining company, this is a very interesting buy for them. And they'll get in at a very cheap price point and they might actually come out with a better Bitcoin mining company that actually owns the buildings versus the companies that were just putting their machines in and renting it out from this company. So keep your eyes on who actually buys this and what comes out of this. Not you, but I will, because you know. (laughs) But I think this is a very interesting thing. And there might be another couple of hosting providers that go bankrupt or whatever, but there's gonna be some very interesting Bitcoin mining companies that come out of bankruptcies like this. That's interesting though. So like even when it's bad news and it's gonna generate some FUD, if you're a real Bitcoiner, you know that none of this is really going to mean much and it might even be a good thing in the long term. Yeah, and this is what a real functioning market looks like. These people were not 
operating at an efficient level. Maybe they were just bad at business. We don't know, right? We haven't looked into it, but good. We, we got them out of the Bitcoin game. We don't want them. Exactly. We and, want the best. And that's what's supposed to happen. Instead, you get bailouts. Dun, dun, dun. Last but not least, baby, give me what I'm going to assume is the worst news. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty, this is pretty bad. It's, it's not great for the people of the United Kingdom. But I think this is a precursor to what we should expect in other places in the world. Last week, Jerome Powell came out, made a bunch of statements that matter or don't matter because who knows anymore, basically saying we're raising interest rates. And the Bitcoin community has been screaming for a long time that like you cannot raise interest rates in this environment. You're going to break the economy. You're going to break the world economy. Well, it looks like the world economy is starting to break. The first sign of that is that today, I saw a little bit of this last night before I went to sleep, but when I woke up this morning, the UK has turned on the money printer. You know, that's a famous line in, in you know, Bitcoin world, mm-hmm. money printer go burr, right? So they started printing money to do what's called yield control. And, you know, we all kind of knew this was going to happen. You know, they're raising rates, but we kind of, everyone's been saying, like, if you raise rates, you're going to break stuff. You're just going to have to go back to printing money anyway. Why are you doing this? Isn't this also after they kind of shut down all of London for 11 days because the queen died? I don't know how much of it was shut down, but I feel like the queen dying was a big deal. I feel like the queen was like, yo, y'all about to break everything. <laughs> right, UK's ha- I'm out. <laughs> it's a rough time for the UK. Like, honestly, like, I think, you know, this that's like a little conspiracy theory, but I think if the queen were younger and or were alive she'd be a bitcoiner no (laughs) no 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 no. she definitely made her money off the back of printing money (laughs) but my point is is that like the queen as like this long-standing a figurehead type of position she does exert some influence over the country then what happens she dies and then they start printing money again trevor Noah had a really funny joke that was like people were so upset that the their money was going to have Prince Charles's face on it, that the value of the pound just tanked. I mean... Because <laughs> it's worth less with his face on it than hers. I mean, I know monarchy is considered to be like this really bad thing, but that's kind of, you could argue that is kind of what is happening, which is like, the queen was a known quantity. We knew what she was going to do. We kind of knew her opinions, at least when she gave them. We knew how she thought the country should mm-hmm. be run and what trajectory it should be on. a joke. We don't know what this guy's going to do. We don't. He's never had a say. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you could argue that he comes in with almost no power. And so you could argue, again, conspiratorially, but I think also... He already seems senile. I mean, there's that. But my point is more like, you could argue that... He has no power over people because he's never actually exerted any power mm-hmm. over these influential people because he really didn't have a say. And so I feel like they're basically like bum rushing mm-hmm. and they're just going to rob the piggy bank and hope that he either doesn't care or just can't stop them. But in the midst of all this money printing that's going on, I got to give a shout out to Nick Batia. He wrote the book that I mentioned in the previous episode, uh, Layered Money where we talked about the money pyramid and all that fun stuff. Episode 28, again, shout out. He has his own little substack, and he did a write-up where he did some digging, and it looks like part of this money printing is to bail out BlackRock. Ooh. And so BlackRock actually holds 
uh, a lot of pensions in the UK. And so what's happening or what it appears to be happening is that when the US raised rates, it blew up these pensions. And so in order to keep the pensions from going insolvent, the UK is now printing money to prop up the British pound so that these pensions don't collapse. But lo and behold, the strategy failed. Well, lo and behold, who's holding all these pensions is BlackRock. So you're really propping up BlackRock's profitability. So as I said a couple episodes ago, like BlackRock is moving out of real estate and offering Bitcoin. Well, apparently you got to bail them out still. They're dumping houses on the market. They're crashing the housing market. Now they're over in the UK crashing the pension market. Is this the uh, beginning of the, the fall of BlackRock? Well... BlackRock, I would argue, has more influence than Prince Charles Mm -hmm. because BlackRock has its hand all over the world. Prince Prince Charles cannot influence, I guess, King Charles now? Do I have to say that? I think so. King Charles now, he doesn't have any influence in the United States. He might have some influence in some of the former British colonies like Australia and Canada, but like... His influence is very constrained. BlackRock is very influential in the entire financial system in the world. And so they basically have everyone in the West, to a certain extent, they're holding them hostage. And the UK, it feels like they're paying their, you know, to be released. And that's not the best analogy, but like they are propping up pensions that are held by BlackRock. Thus, they are bailing out BlackRock. So what does this mean for Bitcoin? A couple of things. The first thing that it means is that the people in the UK, I think, are getting a wake-up call because everyone's been told up until today that, well, the US is raising rates and the UK is going to raise rates and we're going we're gonna to crush this inflation, right? Like inflation is bad. We're going to get it under control. But we also know that money printing causes inflation. So UK has worse inflation than the United States and they're printing more money. Now, I'm not saying everyone in the UK is going to run to Bitcoin, but I do think there are a lot of sensible people in the UK that are Googling right now, how do I protect my wealth? And I just had this conversation with one of my friends this this afternoon, not about protecting his wealth, but about like, what are people's options in this scenario? And if you do any Google search, you're going to get two answers. You can have gold or you could have Bitcoin. I think a lot of people are just going to buy Bitcoin. As you inflate the money supply of the British pound and Bitcoin's money supply is unchanging, it's just going to cost more and more pounds to buy the same amount of Bitcoin. And I think as people see that happening and inflation keeps running rampant, more and more sensible people are going to be looking to escape this inflation and they're going to realize, you know, hmm, this thing Bitcoin seems to just rode it all out. You know, like there's been a big sell-off in all the assets uh, across the world recently, right? Like I think the stock market's down like 40% this, this entire year, some crazy double-digit number. Um, more localized version. I think housing prices in like Idaho have crashed like 40%. Like, But you think Bitcoin is proving that in maybe the past month or two, it's a stable asset? So as all these other things have been selling off, Bitcoin, yes, we came from 70 to 20, but everything that happened today didn't move the price. Everything that happened last week when Jerome Powell said they were upping the interest rates didn't move the price. Bitcoin's price right now, it appears, I'm not saying that this is a guarantee, but it appears that Bitcoin has actually deflated first. Mm. Everything else still has to deflate. But as I was saying to my friend this afternoon, when these people figure it out and they go to buy Bitcoin, I'm not selling my Bitcoin to them. You're not selling your Bitcoin to them. And the majority of people who have Bitcoin right now are not selling their Bitcoin to them. 
So when all these new people come to buy Bitcoin because inflation's at 15% for another year, who's going to sell it to them? There's just going to be no supply and more demand. Mm. And that means that the value of Bitcoin is going to increase. And it's going to increase at a pace that I believe people do not really want to imagine when you have countries printing billions and or the United States will probably print more trillions of dollars. There'll be an inflated money supply. More people will have Bitcoin that are not going to sell it. Because during all of this, we're all still buying. We're soaking up all the Bitcoin that we can. And when everyone shows up to the table, we're going to be like, yeah, there's like a million Bitcoin for y'all to fight over. You hear that, guys? Go to the Satoshi Savings Calculator right now and figure out how much more Bitcoin you can buy this week. That's a great point, babe, because the thing that the Satoshi Calculator is in the way that I built it is that you don't pick a specific date when you're like setting your goal, you pick a halving. Mm -hmm. So the next halving is in 2024. In 2024, there will be even less Bitcoin. So you got two years. Less than two years. Less than two years to figure out that inflation is not transitory, to figure out that your country is going to print more money and that your only escape valve is going to be gold or Bitcoin. I know nobody on this planet has bought gold as a way to store wealth regularly just on my neck exactly right like rappers are probably going to be best hedged <laughs> against inflation so all these things are going to happen and if you figure it out before the halving there is going to be more supply available right there's more supply because 6.2 are being issued every 10 minutes but after the halving it's going to be 3.15 and everyone's going to be fighting over 3.15 bitcoin every 10 minutes so get as much as you can before 2024 and hopefully you can ride it out Get on it, everyone. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Did you know the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast runs on the value for value business model? So what does that mean? Instead of having to listen to us read the same batch of ads every episode, we're looking to you, our listeners and supporters, to support the show if and when we provide you with something of value. Value can be anything, some new piece of information, a new point of view, or even a good old-fashioned belly laugh. When we provide value, we ask that you contribute to the show what you believe the value is worth to you. Hence the term, value for value. To learn more about how to support the pod, visit flirtingwithbitcoin.com support. And don't forget to subscribe so we can always keep in touch. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next episode. Thank you.